And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and Alpine has a healthy shortlist for its vacant 2023 seat, with several of the contenders testing a year-old car at the Hungaroring soon. But who are the drivers in the running? What needs to happen for any of them to get the seat? And who should they sign? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Ben Anderson. Well, Scott, Alpine's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. anyone that wants um, a little bit of downtime after the triple header, Alpine, just like they did in the summer break, are just making sure they're at the centre of everything to, to stop that from, from happening. But it is uh, it is good fun, and as we'll, we'll get on to in this discussion, I don't really think that the test that they've got planned for a few of their shortlisted drivers is a shootout as such, but it does feel a bit old school in the sort of sense of just bring together a bunch of drivers and actually see firsthand how good they are. I love a shootout. I particularly like the fact that whenever there is a kind of shootout, years later there'll always be stories about how people were deliberately nobbled and actually I won the shootout but the other one got the drive. So we can look forward to that down the line. And Ben Anderson, you're a handy single-seater driver, so are you joining this test? Because everyone else seems to be. Have they been impressed by your CV that includes former Max Verstappen rival on it? Well, I I think they should be. I still have my racing license. It's a long road to get my uh, super license points, but there are plenty of winter series around. So if I can duplicate myself, I might be able to just about qualify in time for the next season. Yeah, why not? I'll throw my hat into the ring now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll get onto the FIA and see if we can get you into a, a suitable winter series to boost your license points total. But this is a great topic. Alpine has been a source of much news in a driver market and there's no sign of it abating. So let's get into it. Scott, you've been watching this very, very closely. We know Pierre Gasly is the first choice if AlphaTauri can successfully bring in Colton Herter. But how long is the shortlist and who's on it? Well, if um, do, do you remember when this all kicked off? So in the aftermath of um, the news that Fernando Alonso was moving to Aston Martin, Otmar Zafnauer, the Alpine team principal, made a reference to having around 14 drivers that they could choose from. And amazingly... Um, he has repeated that number fairly recently, even though obviously um, you'd have thought that they would have eliminated a few of the chances that got in touch. They obviously thought they had Oscar Piastri as an option, and that that didn't happen. I I came up with a thought with a fourteen person list for Alpine. It got progressively rubbish. So if they're genuinely considering up to fourteen drivers, they 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 could have. Some serious, a seriously questionable teammate for a Spanakon next year. I think, um, 
I th- I think there are probably four. I'm gonna. Uh, I don't like putting a specific number on it, but I'm gonna say that there are four candidates. I think you've got Gasly, who is the favourite if they can get him, and then beyond that, my expectation is that they would be picking between Nick DeVries, Jack Doohan, and maybe and like a Nico Hulkenberg type. I. I know there's been some links with Mick Schumacher, but I I haven't been given the impression that Alpine are particularly interested. And I know it's been speculated that he might take part in in the test that we'll we'll talk about in a bit in a bit more detail in a little while. I can't really see that happening. So yeah, my guess is it'll be one of Gasly, De Vries, Duan or Hulkenberg, but I am prepared to be blown out of the water by a left field option. Well, I managed to get my shortlist to around seven realistic options. That's not a shortlist. That included, I mean, it's, it's 50% of Zafnauer's shortlist. <laughs> uh, I got Gasly, De Vries, Stuen, Hulkenberg, which you mentioned, Giovinazzi, Mick Schumacher, Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, and then I started to get into some pretty zany options like Robert Kubica, Kimi Raikkonen. And thought, I thought to myself, you know, this, this is silly now. So how, how on earth did he get to 14? Well, I think you just top it up with like drivers that were just never seriously going to be considered. So I reckon Alex Albon would have been on there at one point. Um, you pick any driver that's got 2022 experience. So I reckon like you probably, uh, Nicholas Latifi, would you look at him? Felipe <sighs> Drogovic, the Formula 2 champion. No, that's absolutely the right reaction to Latifi <laughs> being suggested for anything. Um, but that's how you get to a, a, a long list like that. But I think you're... Uh, your way of slimming it down is probably pretty valid. But even that is filled with drivers that, let's be honest, they're, they're not, they're not, it's, it's not an inspiring list, is it? Well, what we can say is that Alpine is at least being rigorous on this. They're doing their due diligence. They're making sure they're drawing the list of all the sensible candidates. They're even testing Jack Villeneuve. I think he's a serious <laughs> contender. That's a, that's a TV thing. But I'm, sh- I'm sure Villeneuve will have, uh, will have asked the question because I, b- I bet he'd like a, another go if he has the, the chance. But at least they're looking at all options. They've been put in this, well, they've put themselves, let's face it, in this position where their first two choices are gone and they're they're kind of picking from... Really, it is the dregs of the driver market. Let's not mince words on it. These are all the drivers who haven't been able to find anything anywhere else. So actually, I think it is probably quite good that they're being open-minded and saying, well, actually, let's just put every credible name down on the list and make sure we're not missing anything. And then, you know, test a few of them to see see how it goes. So actually, do they deserve some credit for being so open-minded and broad? Well, I think they're just basically being as rigorous as they should have been in the first place, which would have stopped themselves needing to get into a point where they have to evaluate 10 different drivers to find someone that's actually willing to drive for them and available. So I d- I'm not going to give them any extra credit for that. I think what they I think what they have been sensible with is taking advantage of what is in their control because, for example, it does seem like Alpine have made the, um, the emphatic decision not to reconsider... Uh, or not to consider a reunion with Daniel Ricciardo. There are pros and cons to to that, but they've at least been decisive with that. They've drawn up their list of options and they've realised that actually, after being caught out so badly by being slow with Alonso and Piastri, there's actually nothing to lose by by waiting. I I don't see which options fall away from them. I mean, Nick De Vries is probably the only one, but with absolute full respect to De Vries, and I've talked on the after uh, the post-Italian Grand Prix podcast that we did, how impressed I was with his Monza debut, 
There's a video on YouTube about his options for next year. I do genuinely think it would be a shame if he's not on the 2023 grid. I don't think De Vries is a better option for Alpine than, you know, one or two of the others that they're considering, especially someone that's got a bit of experience. So I don't really see what they they lose from from waiting, especially if if they're really holding out for, for Gasly, then his situation might not be resolved for, for, for two or three months. So you might as well just have the biggest data bank you can on the alternatives to Gasly, because let's face it, they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to be about as available for Alpine in January as they are now. I think it's mad that they've dismissed Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, I get that he's damaged goods in some ways because of the McLaren stint and you know, maybe these rules and the ground effect cars means he's not going to be the driver that he was at Renault. But it wasn't so long ago that Renault, which is obviously now Alpine, was letting Nico Hulkenberg go so it could have Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon in its driver lineup. And now Nico Hulkenberg's an outside contender if their plan A doesn't happen, but Daniel Ricciardo's been dismissed. So it doesn't add up to me. If that's diligent, then I don't really understand what diligence is. It's bold of you to claim that it's if their plan A doesn't exist, Ben, when they're onto about plan X already. <laughs> yes, true. Running out of letters very soon. But yeah, I'd agree on Ricardo. I have a slight concern about their reasoning on Ricardo. Obviously, you mentioned the reasons there, Ben, but I feel that if you're in Alpine's position, particularly as an upwardly mobile team, they're a big team, they're aspiring to be bigger, you want to have the best available option chosen and the best available option is the best available option all the past baggage is redundant is irrelevant isn't it ultimately he left the team when he was out of contract and they were underperforming a bit they hadn't had a good pre-season testing and remember he made that decision to leave before the belated start of the 2020 season so I just think that's all kind of irrelevant baggage the real question should be what does Ricardo offer and yeah he's damaged goods but for me he is the one who offers the biggest potential upside. So certainly to dismiss him, I think, is a mistake. And he did really well with that team. It took a bit of time, but his final season with Renault was excellent. So what's to say he can't do that again? I mean, that team has a history of taking drivers back and them rediscovering themselves. Alonso's done it a million times. So I, yeah, I don't really see why, just because he's been there before, you couldn't go, couldn't go back. They can't, they're beggars. They can't be choosers in this situation. He's also the only one that fulfills Alpine's stated public criteria, which is to have an experienced driver who has several years to to be part of this project and can lead a team and offer real experience. With all respect to Pierre Gasly, who who I think I think is actually a really good fit for, for, for Alpine in a lot of ways. I've not seen anything from him to suggest that he can lead a team and steer development and stuff like this. I actually fear that if it's an Ocon Gasly lineup, they're basically going to have two versions of the same driver and the same limited driver in that they need the car to behave in a certain way. And if they don't get that, all they'll do is moan over the radio about it. And they'll, they'll ask for it, they'll ask for it, they'll ask for it. And if they don't get it, they can't do anything with it. So, whereas Ricardo, yeah, obviously he does have a clear limitation in terms of what he can do behind the wheel. But McLaren have had nothing bad to say about the process that he's fed into in terms of working on their car. His feedback on where the car's weak has actually been the same as Norris. It's just that Norris can drive around it a bit better than Ricardo can. So I think Ricardo fits what Alpine want. Um, and just with the way it's gone, 
with the way I would imagine Alpine and Ricardo are keen to play down things and you never know strength and negotiating positions and stuff like this. I'm not ruling it out entirely that actually on the on the secret that there are some discussions going on. I've got no reason to believe that there are negotiations like that. But with the way that it's gone over the last month or two and it's been so volatile, I think it would be pretty stupid for me to sit here and say Daniel Ricciardo will not be an Alpine driver in 2023. Yeah, I think there'll be plenty of scope for things to move. And of course, the talks are ongoing with all sorts of drivers, the test coming up. So anything can shift. And you never know if there's a little bit of a a question mark with Ricardo about the facts of how much he's willing to be paid, etc. They might have just decided to be too expensive. So maybe they're trying to push him into becoming a little bit cheaper for them as as one of the options or a little bit more short term. Who knows? But yeah, right now, he does appear to have been counted out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Well, we know that Alpine's running a test, Scott, in the 2021 car before Singapore. It's going to be at the Hungara Ring. The details are a little bit sketchy. The team always says they don't comment on private tests. So what do we know about who is definitely testing, who might be testing, and who definitely isn't testing? Uh, Right, so the people who are testing, I believe that Nick DeVries will be testing. I'm pretty sure Jack Doohan will be testing. And I'm also pretty sure that Colton Herter will be testing, which is a very random name to include in this list, but he's not there for Alpine reasons. He's not there because Alpine is weighing him up for 2023. This is all linked to the complicated process of trying to get Herter a super license so that Red Bull can get him in at Alpha Tauri, which will release Gasly, which will allow Alpine to have its fifth choice driver, fourth choice, fourth choice driver, third, third choice, maybe third choice driver for 2023 in Pierre Gasly. And obviously Alpine will be open to that because there's a net benefit to them. They're doing this test anyway. Why not have Herter in? Red Bull would presumably get something out of it in the form of um, Herter then being back up to speed in the F1 car after the IndyCar season's finished so that he can then presumably go and do some FP1s with with AlphaTauri. So we can we include Herter in the list because I believe he will be participating, but we don't include him in the wider discussion of the the Alpine seat. And then there's a, then there's been a whole mess of reporting or misreporting around who else will drive Sebastian Vettel Mick Schumacher Nico Hülkenberg have all been mentioned I didn't expect any of those to participate because um, Vettel I don't think has got any interest um, and we know he's retiring at the end of the year it wouldn't surprise me if Alpine have tried to you know coax him into reconsidering his retirement but he, he's not going to be driving in the test I'd be surprised if Ferrari and Haas released Schumacher to drive for Alpine in the test. Um, and I also would be I'd be surprised if Hulkenberg participated, given he's contracted to to Aston Martin at the moment. So it would be a surprise to me if those guys were involved. But yeah, there's there's a there's a few names that have been linked. Some are a bit more concrete as options than others. Is there a possibility that Herter does FP1s for Alpine? before the end of the season rather than with this super license thing hanging over him rather than him jumping in at Alpha Tauri 
in every FP1 session going when you've got a decision to make about Gasly, Sonoda, who drives the other car. Could this be a way of him relieving some pressure on Red Bull and, and also fulfilling Alpine's requirement to run rookies in at least two FP1s? That's a good theory, especially as they obviously won't be using Piastri now in FP1s. But my assumption with Alpine was that they would just slot Jack Doohan in um, and then get him to to, to do that, um, gets him an extra couple of super license points. Although I'm not sure Doohan needs it after various results. He's I can't remember where he is on super license. But yeah, it's not it's not impossible. Maybe a couple for Alpine, a couple for Alpha Tauri. Um, he could even, I think Red Bull still have to do one as well, don't they? They they did VIPs earlier in the year, so if they have to do another one, uh, maybe maybe they could slot Herter in. But uh, I think Oracle, Red Bull Racing's title sponsor, would be very happy to see an American driver in their car. Um, so yeah, not not impossible that Herter across two or three teams could 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 do that. But um, it's just quite funny that a team is. A team is testing a driver that not only is not on its own shortlist as a, a future option, but also currently isn't eligible to race in Formula One anyway, but is participating in a test for Alpine to decide who will race its Formula One car in 2023, which I think speaks absolute volumes for the state of the silly season that we've had over the last month or two. Well, it seems to get sillier by the minute. Antonio Giovinazzi's been linked now as well, hasn't he, to that that test as a possible contender? I guess he's a logical name you'd put on your list of list of names, so... Again, net far and wide. Yeah, but it sort of fits into what we were saying before about not being the most exciting set of options. No disrespect to Giovinazzi. He's he's a nice guy. I'd actually, I'd have no issue, especially on a personal level, if he had another crack at Formula One because I, he's just a, he's a decent person. He's worked hard and he is a quick driver, but he's had a fair crack at Formula One. He's nothing special in terms of, do you, do you look at him and think, oh, it's a real shame I didn't see him in a, better car than that I don't I don't look at him and think that so I've I, it's such a, it's just Alpine really got themselves into a pickle where they're looking at a driver that even Alfa Romeo and Sauber decided now you're not really what we need in the midfield and now Alpine are going oh maybe we'll go for him yeah I don't really see Giovinazzi as a serious contender I mean, like Scott says, he's a decent driver, but he's not, I don't think he's the team leader that Alpine are looking for or someone who's going to go in and challenge Esteban Ocon at that team. I think he looked decent at Sauber Alfa Romeo, but he was up against Kimi Raikkonen, who was, let's face it, degrading even further than the version of Kimi Raikkonen degraded at Ferrari before that version. And I think that kind of let Giovinazzi down a bit. I think he... He felt he'd done a good enough job because he was comparing himself to a world champion, but I don't think in the grand scheme of things he did quite enough to deserve a, a big shot further up the grid. And I think the fact that Haas aren't really looking at him as a serious option tells you everything you need to know about his chances of getting an Alpine seat. But you said there that he's not the team leader Alpine want, but team leader's not really an option for them at this stage with what they're picking from. Is it so that makes Giovinazzi's case a little bit stronger because they might need an interim option, someone with experience. We know he's a decent development driver, very experienced in the Ferrari sim, so he could tick the boxes as a as a bit of a one year stand in while they wait for better options for the longer term because they don't want to commit to a substandard de facto team leader if there isn't one available, do they? No, true, but I think of the the long short list that we've outlined earlier, there are better options even for that interim period than Giovinazzi. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. 
But uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what he can do. He's, he's a great story, Giovinazzi. He got to F1 without a great deal of, uh, of personal money behind him. So he's one of those drivers who certainly wouldn't begrudge him a chance. But yeah, he, he's had a good shot at Formula One and he showed himself to be a sporadically quick but a bit erratic performer overall. Well, let's talk a little bit about Colton Herter, Ben. We've talked about him lots on recent episodes, <laughs> but... What is the latest with his quest on super license points? It's significant because of the impact it has on Alpine. So is he getting a super license? Is he not getting a super license? What's happening? Well, this is the uh, million-dollar question, right? Um, a complicated mathematical situation. So I know Scott's done quite a lot of work in working this out. And- Hang on. Co- complicated mathematical situation. You've got to be able to count to 40. Well, right? yeah, I know. It's, but it's not quite as simple as that, is it? Because you need you yes, need <laughs> you, you need 40 points, that's true. But how you get them is quite an involved process. And also, some seasons count. You can only count three of your four last seasons because of COVID. And it seems... Now that Herter has 32 counting super license points based on his his recent results in IndyCar, which have also been declining, actually, that's not enough. He needs to get to 40. If he does every FP1 session from now until the end of the Formula 1 season, he would get another six because you can get one per FP1, provided you do enough kilometres and you don't uh, piss off the stewards uh, and get a reprimand or what have you. And just to be clear on that, you can't do anything sneaky like do an FP1 for someone, then do an FP2 for someone no. else and get two points because the rules do state it's one point per weekend. Yeah, he can't do you know double FP1 for two different teams and then another practice session or anything like that. So he could get to 38 by the end of this season. So you know, complicated mathematics tells you that's too short of the total required. So then you're looking at winter series options uh, and as Scott has reported on the race.com the most likely option there is to do uh, an F3 level regional series Asia or India uh, because they don't have rules prohibiting a driver of F2 or IndyCar level experience dropping back whereas the European version does so he could be entered into one of those championships to duff up some F4 slash F3 level drivers, which to me still seems like a bit of a loophole that um, is really against the spirit of what the FA is trying to do with the junior ladder. But, you know, as Christian Horner likes to say, there's no such thing as the spirit. There's only the regulations as written. So uh, that probably is Red Bull's best option, that they basically flog her to death in FP1 as much as they can until the end of the season. Then they they put him in a, a low-level winter series um, hope that he doesn't get embarrassed by some up-and-coming talents and scores enough points by finishing in the top three or five, um, depending on how many FP1s he's done, of course. Uh, and that should get him over the line. But the problem with that plan is that you're then making your driver decision uh, probably in kind of November, December this year, or maybe even January, February next year. And that is quite late in the day to be leaving uh, the driver market open. You don't want to do a Dan Tictum, as it's known, where you go into a championship to pick up super license points, then finish ninth or wherever he was when you went to do Asian uh, <laughs> F3. No good. Well, well, he um, he went out there and then subsequently discovered that it wasn't eligible for super license points because it didn't have enough uh, didn't have enough different circuits. I think on the calendar that would be perfectly Alpine, wouldn't it? If yeah, uh... <laughs> then he also had incidents and car problems that compromised his results. 
So he was well down in the championship and then didn't bother doing the final round. So it is a it's a good case study of it being fraught with peril, but it would be slightly different assuming Herter is eligible to go and do those series because what you outlined there, Ben, was generally what we're sort of interpreting the situation to be. But there is a bit of disagreement over whether or not drivers like Herter are actually explicitly banned or not. There was a general understanding with the Formula Regional Asian Series for this year, at the start of 22, that they would prioritise drivers lower down the ladder. But that wasn't put across explicitly as a drivers higher up the ladder can't do it. And the predecessor for that series was um, the F3 Asia, basically. And it just changed its... It just had a rebrand, basically, for the with the Formula Regional stuff. Um Apparently, the sporting regulations didn't change. And the F3 Asian sporting regulations allowed drivers from higher series because Joe Guan Yu, who is now obviously racing in in Formula 1 with Alfa Romeo, did that series off the back of a Formula 2 season, which is a series that is explicitly forbidden for Formula Regional European. So there is a... a, it's, It's really unclear, partly because you can't actually get hold of the sporting regulations for these championships publicly for some reason because they're just chaotic um so it's an absolute mess and it's obviously a problem for red bull that they'd be relying on them in the first place i mean the formula regional india idea is great if uh if it's not being contested by competitive drivers it has enough circuits and it has enough entries and it's resolved by november december then that seems like the perfect one but if he's not allowed to do it if it's not eligible for super license points if he goes there and the car breaks down there are all manner of hurdles that could either stop it from happening to begin with or ruin it when it's out there. So it's a, it's really not an ideal situation. And then that obviously brings you back to Alpine because it's like, well, how how much do you do you, do you gamble on that situation being resolved in, in your favour? Let's assume that Herta is allowed to go and do Formula Regional Asia and that's what he has to do. Or even the Toyota Racing Series, which is out in New Zealand. Are you really going to risk running until early, the you know, the first week or two of February before you know? that That's a massive gamble for me. Yeah, it seems like too much of a stretch. I mean, Red Bull, I think, have been arguing that one of Herta's, in, Herta's indie light season should count, but it doesn't count because there weren't enough entries in the championship when he did it. And you run the risk of entering one of these winter series if you actually are allowed to, and then for reasons completely outside your control, it ends up not being eligible for the super license points and you've just wasted all these months for nothing. And I don't really think teams, okay, this isn't for Red Bull, the parent team, but you know, teams at the upper end of the midfield, I don't think really can be afford to wait till February to have their driver lineups finalised. I don't think that is a diligent approach. It does also reveal there is a hole in the system because I think most of us would agree that Herter is plenty good enough to be an F1 driver. doesn't mean he's going to be an F1 superstar, but the super licenses role is to let in drivers with a certain level of achievement and that are therefore competent to race in F1. And it should be a high bar, but he's won seven IndyCar races. So it points to a, a hole in the rules. I'd actually rather they just fix the hole. I know it's not great to retrospectively do stuff, but the super license point system, it's not some great God to be worshipped, is it? It's there to serve a purpose. It's got a little bit of a blind spot. So, improve it then you don't get all this running around trying to get the extra points the one thing i would say is there is no force majeure argument 
they've made a case that there is, but there there simply is not because Herter's seasons weren't affected by COVID directly in the, yes, the calendar change and that kind of thing. But I don't think there's an argument to be made there. If, uh, assuming Herter is allowed to go and do one of these winter series, does it, gets the points he needs by, as Ben put it, duffing up some lesser drivers from junior categories. There's obviously going to be a lot of people criticising that and saying, oh, he shouldn't be allowed to do this. That's not what these are for. He's abusing the super licence system. As far as I'm aware, or as far as I'm concerned, rather, that that to me is just exploiting the same flawed system that means he's been screwed over in the first place because there's exactly it's exactly what you were saying Ed there is literally there is no argument that someone who has finished in the top 3 in the IndyCar championship and won multiple races should not be allowed to drive in formula 1 so if the super license system is so messed up that it allows that to happen then as far as i'm concerned formula 1 drivers should should or formula 1 candidate drivers should be absolutely allowed to go and race a series contested by national F4 drivers if it means they get the points they need. And this brings us back then to the FIA and its intransigence in this situation because essentially we're arguing two sides of the same coin and neither of those sides are acceptable. Either you run a coach and horses through your own rules to let IndyCar drivers in, which is not what the system allows, but as you say rightly, Ed, it should be permitted that in successful IndyCar drivers are qualified to race in Formula One, or you allow this driver to do a series that he has no business turning up in just through a tortured process to try and qualify for a system that isn't fit for purpose. So really, this all hinges on the FIA backing down from its there is nothing to see here position and actually trying to adapt its system, not just to make an exception for Herter, but actually to better reflect the situation in motorsport and the relative strengths and weaknesses of the championships below Formula One. Yeah, it makes sense to make an improvement, doesn't it? Connected to her to Scott, what's going on with Alex Pillow? He's testing a McLaren, but Ganassi has won its services in IndyCar. So should we take Pillow as a serious contender for Formula One in the future. I know he's not directly connected to Alpine, but we're talking about people who are testing in Colton Herter, so it seems a good time to address him. Well, obviously, um, Herter is now on the radar of another Formula One organisation in Red Bull, having started the year, I say started, it was back in, it would, it would have been in July, so it was it was halfway through the year. But anyway, he he's already made his Formula One testing debut with McLaren. He he signed a deal at the start of this year to to, to do, join McLaren's 2021 car testing program, and I believe that that contract runs across next year as well. So McLaren actually needs to release Herter if he's going to go and do a, an F1 deal with someone else. Um, but now Herter's obviously involved in something completely separate, and that program that he was part of was always meant to feature Alex Palau. The 2021 IndyCar champion who is Yusuf races for Ganassi and it was all part of this crazy contractual situation McLaren managed to find itself in two different versions of a very similar situation this year uh, either side of the Atlantic that has now finally been resolved um, he, Palau will stay with Ganassi next year in IndyCar but he's agreed that he's allowed to carry on and do his F1 testing stuff with um, with McLaren McLaren have clearly used the F1 stuff as a as a carrot and I think for Palau, it's a really, really, um, it, it's a really big incentive to, to to be part of that. I don't think, 
I think now he's sort of had a sniff of doing something related to F1. I'm sure he doesn't rule out the possibility of making that switch himself full-time, especially if Herta can do it. If Herta can do it, I reckon that would be the kind of blazing a trail that would it would really embolden someone someone like Alex. So let's see. I don't think it's a short-term thing. I don't think he's on any team's radar. I don't think McLaren's even considering him as an option, really, um, beyond giving him a few 2021 car tests. But... Let's face it, the last couple of months, stranger things have happened. There's a process now in place with with an IndyCar driver potentially coming onto the grid in, in 2023. And if that happens, I think Palau will absolutely fancy his chances of doing the same in the future. Yeah, and he's got the chance to impress McLaren. He's pounding around Barcelona pretty much as we speak, I believe. So if you're in a car, you've always got the chance to impress. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, let's come back to the topic of Alpine, Ben. We've run through the various contenders who who might test the car, the lie of the land. So... Who would you sign if you were Lauren Rossi? Wow. Okay. So if I'm- obviously the real answer there is nobody because he's incapable. <laughs> <of contact>. Yeah. <laughs> if you're actually trying to do it, I think the first thing I would do if I was Lauren Rossi <laughs> is lawyer up because clearly the legal department at Alpine isn't really fit for purpose. Uh, so that's the first thing I'd address. And then when I turn my attention to who I sign, if we're ruling out Daniel Ricciardo for some bizarre reason then my choice actually I think comes down to one of De Vries or Doohan I think you take a punt on a sort of unproven talent if you like someone who hasn't you know shown their limitations quite clearly in Formula 1 already and probably you know based on certainly the Monza showing I think De Vries would be my favoured candidate. So are we picking these based on the shortlist we think's in front of them right now. Right, are we ruling out a Ricardo? Well, I think we all like the idea of Ricardo, don't we? But he doesn't seem to be a contender. So, if we all we all work on the basis that we all think Ricardo's a good idea, but it isn't a contender, then we can go with uh, one of the others. Yeah, I think in that case, I think 
I think they're doing the right thing by trying to prioritise Gasly if they can get him because I think he's the only one if you've if you've absolutely dismissed Ricardo. I think Gasly, there's such a big gap between Gasly and the next option in terms of experience, in terms of actually how serious they are as a driver. So, yeah, I think um, I think I think Gasly is absolutely the right priority. But I would probably go with Ben and say if that's not possible, I'd go with Doing. Um, just pick your own, go your own talent. Otherwise, you're just going to end up in the same position you found yourself in with Piastri. Doing's less refined and less obvious as a an option than than Piastri was, but. It's a good chance for Alpine to, to to gain a bit of credibility back for the academy and everything that they're trying to do there. So I'd go Gasly. And then if you're going into your backup picks for your backup pick for your backup, then I would pick Doohan. I think Doohan alongside Ocon would maybe make more sense from a team balance point of view. I get that if you're ruling out Ricardo, Gasly looks like a, a sensible option in terms of a proven you know, Alpha Tauri, certainly team leader, but I just don't see him and Ocon gelling as a partnership for that team. And I understand that drivers who don't like each other can work together, but Formula One now, especially, is so is about so much more than just, you know, driving the car and the debriefs, even. You know, it's a whole corporate game to be played. The team needs these two guys to represent the brand in front of all sorts of different people. Like if there's personal animosity there, they don't get on, that is going to take its toll on the team. And like Scott said earlier, they're similar drivers as well. I feel like you're setting yourself up for a real shit fight there where each of those two drivers is really going after the other one to try and prove that they're the top dog. I just don't feel like that's a balanced driver lineup. And therefore I think Ricardo's a better option, but, Obviously, for whatever reason, the other version of Laurent Rossi that's not me has ruled him out. So then I just think you need to turn yourself to someone fresh. And whether that's doing from the academy, I mean, to me, he seems, you know, like more of a risk, but his results are on the uptick and Al- Alpine will have a lot more data than we have on him because he's their driver already. Uh, or De Vries, who is on the market, is testing and as obviously shown already, with his uh, stand-in drive for Alex Albon in the Williams, that he can do the job. Well, I'm going to partially agree with Ben and partly disagree because I do think the Ocon-Gasly partnership isn't what I'd necessarily go for. I think they're both actually very, very good second drivers for Alpine, but I'm not sure that partnership works for a number of reasons. They do have certain limitations and they're different limitations as well, which isn't a great combination. But the way I look at it is there's various options there and they've either got to commit to a long-term option. If they've got Gazi, it would be a multi-year deal, so they're locked into the long-term. I wonder if they're just better off taking an interim option because I think Nick DeVries, we know Williams are very keen on him. I imagine Williams will offer more than a one-year deal, so I wouldn't necessarily be keen on doing more than one year there. So I do wonder if you just think, do you know what? We're going to keep our powder dry. We'll take an interim option who we know can do a good job, and that's probably Nico Hulkenberg in that he knows the team He'll do a good, solid professional job. He knows where he is in his career. He'll get a decent number of points. You know, he's not a long-term pick, but that might buy them the space to then be a factor in the driver market and make sure they've got the right driver choice for 2024 and beyond. Because what they don't want to do is mess up their driver choice for 23 and then in correcting the mistake they've made with losing Alonso and Piastri, then take a an option that's the best of a not-ideal bunch and then lock themselves into a longer-term problem. So... 
that's what I'd be wondering about. I don't think Hulkenberg's a particularly stunning option, but he'll do a job for you. And that's that's what they probably need for 2023. But if you're Lauren Rossi and you're seriously considering Nico Hulkenberg, even as an interim option, why wouldn't you take Daniel Ricciardo as an interim option? I mean, he's been he's he's been linked with a Mercedes reserve role, which is the definition of an interim option. So he's clearly open to that kind of choice. Why not? Why not reunite with the driver who's got the winning pedigree? Who you chose? Well, okay, it wasn't Lauren Rossi who made this decision, but your corporate organisation chose to go with Ricciardo over Hulkenberg in the not so distant past. I just don't see how Hulkenberg is a better interim option than the guy you've already ruled out. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, my Hulkenberg choices in the context of Ricardo seems to have been eliminated from contention. But it's it's so difficult because they're in such a strange position now, Alpine. But that would be the thing that's in my mind. Don't lock yourself in to longer-term problems in solving the short-term problem you've imposed upon yourself. That's the really important thing. So I think they need to not pretend they've got the perfect long-term option if they don't. That's the bit of the mindset I'd have uh, very much to the fore. And whichever option you lock in, make sure you actually lock them in this time. Don't do this kind of woolly contract that's not a contract that they suddenly can just walk away from in like six months' time. Yeah, don't get them to sign a napkin, then scrawl on it on a crayon later and think that's going to uh, that's going to cover it because <laughs> the CRB will uh, will not take kindly to that. But anyway, fascinating situation. And for a driver market that at one stage, some months ago, looked like it might be relatively flat, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? And Alpine, as we say, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Thanks very much, Ben Anderson and Scott Mitchell-Mal, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. There's loads to read there about the evolving driver market situation and other goings-on in Formula 1. One, we've got an app now as well. So search for the Race Media app and you will be able to have all your notifications, customise what you're following and you'll be able to get the race's excellent content in the way you want it. Also have a look at our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and also check out our YouTube channel. Well, we've got a big gap in Formula One now, but we're going to be staying with you on the Race F1 podcast. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.